I failed it, fam. Aaron here, and I wanted to start off this episode by reading a review from one of our very own failed it family members. Yes, like Olive Garden, when you're here, you're family. Oh, everlasting breadsticks and super salad bowls. Anyway, I digress. Today's review comes from R.N. Peach. R.N. Peach says, Each episode is better than the last. Erin has a way of keeping her content fresh and easy, even when she is talking about failure. The connection she has with the audience is felt instantly like she's in the room with you. I look forward to new episodes week after week and hearing what she has to say. R.N. Peach, you are the fruit of the loom. And with a name like R.N., I'm assuming you're in the medical field. So if you are, bless you, you healthcare hero. And thank you so much for this review. So fam, if you like today's episode, I'd love it if you could go on iTunes and rate us and give us a review. Now that review helps us share the hashtag fails of the world so we can all learn from these gifts. And week by week, we unwrap the stories of fails past and present, and we've got so much more giving to do. So let's get into today's episode. Thank you so much for the review, RN Peach. Let's get to failing it. Hey there, my name is Erin Deal, and I'm a half Southern, half Midwestern mama, some call this voice a nasal twang, who took $5,000 to build and scale a one-of-a-kind experiential organization that improves the lives of corporate professionals through personal development, humanity, and humor. Along the way, I've built client relationships with some of the most notable companies in the country, all while attracting a rock star team of experts and hilarious facilitators. Sounds pretty awesome, right? Well, what I didn't tell you is that my resume also includes a long list of comedy shows I bombed, improv teams I didn't make, companies who told me no, and many a heartache when it came to becoming a mother. I want to show you the real deal of the grit, creativity, and determination it takes to overcome your disappointments, embrace the suck, and design the career you could only dream about. I believe we all have our own unique gifts that we bring to the world, and it is our mistakes that help to unwrap them. Welcome to Failed It. Welcome to Failed It, the podcast that reminds you you have to fail in order to improve. I'm Erin Deal, the founder of Improve It and your host. And today, you guys, I am so excited to have our guest, May Soon Zayed. Let me tell you a little bit about my girl, May Soon. Now, we just met, but I know these things to be true. May Soon is an actress, comedian, writer, and disability advocate. She is a graduate and a guest comedian in residence at Arizona State University. May Soon is the co founder and co executive producer of the New York Arab American Comedy Festival and the Muslim Funny Fest. She was a full-time on-air contributor to Countdown with Keith Olbermann and a columnist for The Daily Beast. She has most recently appeared on Oprah Winfrey Network's In Deep Shift, 60 Minutes, and CNN. May Soon had the number one TED Talk of 2014 and was named one of 100 women of 2015 by BBC. 
As a professional comedian, Maysoon has performed in top New York clubs and has toured extensively at home and abroad. She was a headliner on the Arabs Gone Wild comedy tour and the Muslims Are Coming tour. Maysoon appeared alongside Adam Sandler in You Don't Mess with the Zohan and lent in New York Fashion Week. She is a reoccurring character on General Hospital and the author and narrator of Find Another Dream. <laughs> May soon welcome to Failed It. Oh, what's up? I always giggle when I hear General Hospital because I can't believe it. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, am I a soap opera? Hey. Um, I watched so much of your, your, I've YouTubed the crap out of you. So I know that that was a dream of yours mm. to be on that show. So I, I want to talk about that first. You know, normally we jump right into your failed at resume, but okay. I think it's so important to expand beyond your bio just a little bit to give the audience uh, a little bit more in context about you. Can you tell us a little bit about your TED Talk in 2014 and then what you've been up to since that huge evolution for you? Because, I mean, you had the number one TED Talk in 2014. Tell us about that and then what you've been up to since. So this is a perfect way to start because I had a whole career before the TED Talk. So um, I, my dream in life was to be on General Hospital. And that was my dream since I was five years old. So I went to Arizona State University to study theater. And then when I graduated, I moved back to Jersey and started auditioning in New York City. And I very quickly realized that people that looked like me were not on TV. I didn't see disabled people who were visibly disabled. And if I did see a disabled person, they were white and they were men. So I definitely wasn't seeing disabled women of color. I was barely seeing women of color. And if I was, they weren't as fluffy as I am. So where I did see myself was the world of stand-up comedy, especially because of Richard Pryor, the original shaking comic of color. So I decided to pursue comedy and I took my first comedy class in January of 2000. And by 2003, I was a like paid touring comic. And by 2010, I was headlining a live nation tour with a stop in 2007 doing an Adam Sandler movie. So when I was approached to do a TED talk, my first question was, how much are you going to pay me? Because that's all I really care about. I'm a mercenary. I don't leave my house unless someone's paying me. And now I don't leave my house at all because there's a pandemic trying to kill me. But I said, how much are you going to pay me? And it was Pat Mitchell who was inviting me from Paley Center Legendary. You have to look up this woman if you don't know her. But it was Pat Mitchell that was inviting me. I was at my mentor, Maureen Arvis's house, and she invited me. And I was like, they're not going to pay me. I'm not going to do it. So I went to my agents. I was like, this chick invited me to do a TED Talk. But like, they, it's in San Francisco. They're not going to pay me. And they were like, go. It's worth it just for the gift bag. And I went, and the gift bag was that good. There were like Tom's boots and like Google Glass and like a backpack that had a battery. It was like a dope, dope gift bag. And I was at the Fairmont Hotel. So in the prep to TED, they put you with a coach. And my coach was amazing. Her name was Betsy Skolnick. And she was amazing because she had unbelievable patience because I was Trump-like. 
I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to write a script. I don't have to do anything. You're not the boss of me. I'm just going to golf and kill a hundred thousand people. So I refused to like comply. And she was so patient with me and she helped me shape my Ted talk. And then like, right before I went on stage, I changed everything. Cause I'm a comic and I like to freestyle and like some stuff jumped into my head. And one of the things I had never written was I got 99 problems and palsies just one. <laughs> it came up in my head. I was like, I have a reference to Beyonce in the talk where I say, if a wheelchair user can't play Beyonce, then Beyonce can't play a wheelchair user. I was like, well, if I'm going to mention Bay, I got to mention Jay. And that That's was it. before that was before I had my weird grudge against Jay-Z that I have right now because <laughs> I can't forgive him even though Beyonce has and it's not my business and their family is beautiful and kind of gold. Anyway, I'm trying to focus because I have to leave you early because my mother is incorrigible also. And if I'm late, she'll nail a note to the door saying I'm not invited to her funeral. So anyway, I went on stage. I did the TED Talk and I got a standing ovation. And I was like, oh, snap. This was huge. I don't know how I pulled it off. But boy, am I happy that I pulled it off. And I so, so, so regretted my outfit because I didn't take <laughs> it seriously. Yeah. And I look, I look bulbous in my TED Talk, like having to do it all over again. I went one Diane von Fustenberg mesh dress that covers it all. So I, so I do the TED Talk. A month passes by. They post it on January 3rd of 2014. I recorded it in December and uh, a very famous Bollywood actor named Sharuk Khan tweets out my Ted talk. And within one night I get a million hits wow. and I open my Twitter and it's just mayhem. It's, it's multiple languages because the talk had been translated into 42 and probably now 47 languages. So I had like, tweets in multiple languages. I didn't know if people liked it or if they were threatening my life because those are the two <laughs> things I get on the internet, depending on which direction they're coming from. And then everything changed because even though I had an established career, once I had a TED Talk, I became a commodity on the speaker circuit. So my stand-up had always been very much storytelling not set up and punchline, but stories about my life. And so I already had a very speaker-like tone in my standup, and that transitioned me into doing public speaking. So everything I do starts with C. So I either do conferences, corporate, colleges, or comedy. So like, <laughs> that's what I do. And uh, the TED Talk caught, catapulted me into like the lever of speaking that I was at before my entire life imploded on March 4th of 2020, when my agents informed me that all of my shows for the foreseeable future had been indefinitely postponed due to a deadly pandemic ending something called live events. <laughs> yeah, I'm, girl, praise hands. I am sitting here with you because that is my bread and butter. So here we are on the interwebs and, um, I, first of all, just want to go back to your story because it is so fascinating. For real, my cheeks hurt because you are hilarious. I have been so excited for this interview. I've watched you. Um, I obviously watched your TED Talk. I watched the 
interview you did on the Tory Burch Foundation stage with Keegan Michael Key. Mm. I I just find you so freaking funny. She gave me three bags. Tori Birch herself gave me three bags that Stop. day. A purple one, a green one, and a black one. And the gorgeous. You're Look at you with the gift bags. Like you're getting not only okay, gift so, bags, wait. you are getting bags. I know we have, to, we have to talk about failure, but I have to tell you about one of my other successes. Say so I it. start doing all these highbrow events where it's like $1,000 a ticket. Think like Amy Winehouse Foundation and like just um, like, Vogue magazine, like unbelievable, right? And so I have a gift bag strategy. When you go to these highbrow events with the really, really good gift bags, there's always these men who are a bit older, they're senior, let's say, (laughs) and they tend to leave their gift bag behind. So I trail them (laughs) around that place and then I gather their gift bags and I feel like gift bags give me superpowers because (laughs) your audience might not know, but I have cerebral palsy and I shake all the time and somehow I'm able to carry like five or six (laughs) gift bags. I just like stack them on my shoulders like a coat rack and just (laughs) kind of limp out wherever I'm going. Oh my God, you are the best. I we I need to come to Jersey and we need to become best friends because are you, you are Chicago? my people. I'm in Chicago right now. I'm recording this in a pandemic in my parents' walk-in closet, my oh, soon. If I'm my I, Lord. Yes, we drove down uh, myself, my husband, my 10-month-old, and we're staying with my family. We're going back yeah. to Chicago on Friday. So you have a baby in a pandemic. God, That's a fun. Oh, my yeah. God. It's, it's pandemic-y. Well, it's, my veil of protection is on you and your family. You're yeah. so sweet. I had oh. a show on May 1st in Chicago that I did not have. Oh, well, when you come back to Chicago because it will happen sometime. We're we are we're sitting down with some type of beverage, coffee, cocktail, whatever it is, because you are so funny. And I just adore how you have taken I'm gonna take some some uh, Beyonce lyrics here for you because I know yeah. you love her. You don't I love, love the J. You also have a cat named Beyonce. I have a cat named Beyonce because so, if I ever had a baby, I would have named it Beyonce, whether it was a boy <laughs> or a girl. So the cat is Beyonce. I love it. But I, what I'm hearing from you is you have taken some lemons of your life and you have squeezed the crap out of them and made some lemonade. So here's where I want to go. I We hear all of these. I mean, to me, I know through just researching you and your backstory that there have been some failures. And obviously you speak openly about having cerebral palsy. You speak openly about just the things in your life you've had to overcome and you make it funny, which I adore you for. I find, I love your humor. I I just, I'm I'm fangirling right now. Um, But I want you to tell our audience who are primarily uh, emerging leaders, leaders in the professional world as well. You know, we do comedy as well. So we also have a strong audience of people who are aspiring comedians. So can you give us some of the things that you didn't describe in that successful resume bio? Can you tell us a little bit about the fails behind some of those successes and maybe just pinpoint one or two things that really stick out to you uh, to share? Nah, not much. It's really annoying. I've had incredible success as a comedian. (laughs) 
I skipped over all the obstacles. Like by my third show, I was a paid comedian. My first gig as a comic was driving famous comics from New York City to New Jersey. And no one would uh, warn them that I had cerebral palsy. And if your audience watches me online, I kind of look like I'm drunk all the time. I think if I drank, (laughs) I would look like I was straight. So they would get in a car and I'd be shaking and slurring and driving down the New Jersey turnpike at 90 miles an hour. And they would be livid. They would be scared. You know, they're like, I'm going to join the 27 <laughs> club. And I'm like, you're 40. And I would, I would whip into the disabled spot and suddenly their fear would disappear. And I became like the most requested opener. And I don't know if it was because I was hysterically funny or because if I had rock star parking. So... <laughs> One year after I started doing stand-up comedy, 9-11 happens, and my brother from another mother and father, Dean Obidala, calls me up, and he's like, let's do a show that's all Arab comics to combat the negative images of Arabs and Muslims in the media. And I said, okay, sure, no one will come, but I'll do it. And now, 16 years later, we've been producing the New York Arab American Comedy Festival, which is always sold out at Gotham Comedy Club. We can't believe that we're still fighting the same hate, bigotry, ignorance, and racism that we were 19 years ago, but we are. And my failures came before comedy and after comedy. So the first failure is what I mentioned at the top of the interview, which was my dream in life was to be on a soap opera. I went and studied theater at Arizona State University. And I never got cast in any of the shows, even though I always got A's in all of my acting classes. So my senior year, Arizona State decides to do a show called They Dance Real Slow in Jackson about a girl with cerebral palsy. I'm a girl with cerebral palsy, so I think I'm going to get it. I don't get it. A non-palsy chick gets it. I go into the you know theater department head's office raging because I need her to explain how I didn't get a part. I was literally born to play. (laughs) And she said, I couldn't do the stunts. And I said, if I can't do the stunts, neither can the character. And in that moment, I realized that Hollywood had people winning awards and what we call cripping up, playing disabled on screen when they're not disabled in real life. And they were winning Oscar after Oscar for these portrayals. And there were no disabled people that were visibly disabled on screen. Marley Matlin is the only visibly disabled person to win an Oscar. And that was 33 years ago. And the reason I say visibly disabled is because we have no idea how many people with invisible disabilities grace our screen. Because the stigma against things like chronic pain, depression, mental health issues, lupus, The stigma is so strong that a lot of celebrities won't reveal their disabled status. So that's why I often refer to visible disability. So when I was in college, I was a drama queen. I had no idea that I was funny. I used to have traditional weeping places on Arizona State University's campus where I would sit and weep to see if (laughs) I was convincing, and I was. And so... I became a comedian because I saw people like me in comedy. And I was like, okay, I'll take a comedy class. I'll become a famous comedian. And then I'll get a sitcom like Ellen. And then I'll get a talk show like Ellen. And then I'll be Oprah. 
and life will be great. <laughs> so I become a comedian. I'm super duper successful. I audition for things. I'm still not getting them. 2007, Adam Sandler cast me and you don't mess with the Zohan. So now I'm like, I am set. I'm going to be in Adam Sandler movies for the rest of my life. I never do another movie from him. But by the way, the residuals are still coming in and they pay my phone bill the entire year. So like, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Adam Sandler. And if you'd like to toss me another five minute roll and hook me up for life, I'd appreciate that in the pandemic. So (laughs) Adam, listen up. That happens. Then I do the TED Talk. TED Talk, I get to go on the Queen Latifah show. I talk about General Hospital. I go on Meredith Vieira. I talk about General Hospital. I go on 60 Minutes. I talk about General Hospital. Anyone who interviews me at any time, I talk about General Hospital, hoping that they'll hear me and they cast me. This does not happen. So now I'm like, okay, I'm super popular with my TED Talk. Let me reach out to my agents about doing a sitcom. So I reach out to my agents. I say, I have an idea for a sitcom. I'm like all hot to trot right now. It's going to be groundbreaking because number one, disabilities win awards. So we're like a shoe in for the Emmys and the Golden Globes and the SAG. Like they'll just cry (laughs) at my bravery and inspiration. Number two, um, we've never had a visibly disabled woman lead a show. And I'm going to write a show where the character is not disabled. She's disabled because I am. So we don't write it in. We're not ignoring it. We're not trying to pass. But we're not like, you know, uh, the character limps into the room. She shakily places down a glass. Character enters the room and she puts down the the glass. The shaking and the limping is going to occur because I do. So that was what we were going to do. And it was going to be a hysterical comedy where... You know, I was basically the brown disabled Sarah Jessica Parker for with from Sex in the City. Basically, <laughs> Sex in the City without the sex because the character is Muslim and she can't drink. So my agents are like, this is hysterical. This is groundbreaking. You're awesome. I'm like, Cher will play my mother. Tony Shellhub will play my father. They're like, this is going to be the greatest show on earth. You're going to be the new Sofia Vergara. I go and I get, I sell the show and I get a producer and the producer takes me to the studio. NBC Studios buys my show and then ABC Network agrees to distribute it. So now I have Universal Studios and Disney behind me. Harry Potter and Mickey Mouse have my back and it (laughs) all goes to hell in a handbasket. No. Because my producer decided that a non-disabled, non-Muslim, non-funny woman would be a better writer for my show than me. And they cut me out of the writing process. And the result was the Muslim stuff was offensive and the disabled stuff was inspiration porn. And at one point, someone in the, in the team, and by the way, um, NBC and ABC did absolutely nothing wrong. I don't hold them responsible for this. They've given me amazing, amazing opportunities. They have nothing to do with this um, because I'd like to eventually have a show. So, and they <laughs> own everything. Yeah. At some point, someone said to me, if she's too successful, she'll make normal people feel bad. 
And so if your audience watches the comedy that I do, I'm not self-deprecating. I'm the lost Kardashian. Like I'm a character, you know what I mean? Like I'm hot to trot. I have like perfect hair. I shake all the time. I'm the perfect partner. So like I wanted a character that people wanted to be like because you don't see people looking up to disabled characters and being like, I want to be like her. And like when you and I were talking before this, one of the things that you said to me was like, I want to hang out with you. I want to be your friend. And that's what I wanted people to see this disabled character and say. And what they wanted was a pity party where the boy that of her dreams didn't like her and where she couldn't get her dream job and where she was just so pitiful. And we call that inspiration porn. It's when people watch disabled characters and they're like, I love her. I'm cheering for her. I am so glad I'm not her. I'd rather be dead. And that's not what I wanted to do. So I channeled the one and only Dave Chappelle and I burned the whole thing to the ground on one phone call. Good for you. This is here, right here, Mason. This is a, a field of applause coming to you. Hey, Failed It fam who are working from home, are you craving more connection in your workday? Do you want a support group of professionals who want to learn, laugh, and be supported by positivity during this time? Well, I and our awesome cohort have your back with Improve It's WFH Workshop from Home membership. Now, as a WFH member, you will receive one live interactive virtual workshop with your fellow community all about presenting in a virtual environment. You'll also get one live weekly interactive coaching session with yours truly that dives deeper into leading a remote workforce. Now that's one event per week and I would love to see you there. Not to mention, you get an awesome network of like-minded professionals who want to laugh and learn all month long. So join us. The last day to sign up for our August cohort is July 31st at 11.59 p.m. And you can find that link in our show notes. I cannot wait to laugh and learn alongside of you. First of all, that story is amazing. And I think you did the right thing because truly the fact that, first of all, I love your confidence. I love your your sense of humor. I love that you want people to want to be friends with this person versus the inspiration porn that you called it. I like that term as well. And I just think that it shows who you are and it shows that you could have had this really you could have had a show with ABC and NBC, but instead you stuck to who you are and to your values and to what you represent. And to me, that speaks volumes. And I'm sure anybody listening will also hear that. I was a lot more comfortable with it before all my live shows were yanked away from me. And I started watching people in a Petri dish called the Ozarks floating around and Darren. (laughs) I never get back on stage because they're just spreading germs. Like, I know. Everybody stay away from the Ozarks. What is that all about, right? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just so like, I love, I, I know I did the right thing and I love that you're proud of me, but I really do hope I get the chance to tell my story someday because it's frustrating to me. Like, um, out of failure comes 
it's always darkest before dawn. So February 8th of 2019, the show burned to the ground. And March 17th, General Hospital offered me a role. Yes. Which, of course, is at ABC at the House of Mouse. So I walked onto Prospect Studios and there's like Mickey Mouse imprinted on the ground. And it was just like, I made it. I'm here. So the problem is, sorry, go ahead. No, you go. I have so many failures and we have so little time. I know. And I want to inspire your audience because I have been destroyed in my lifetime. So here's the deal, right? I achieved General Hospital. So now I have to chase my next goal. And for the past 21 years, one of my goals has been to be a guest co-host on The View. I don't want a permanent seat at the table. I don't even want the Friday Anna Navarro seat. I just want to be a guest host. Megan McCain goes on maternity leave. She has a happy, healthy baby. He has the word Sean McCain in his name. I, uh, you know, would do that for my dad. And while she's doing that, just sit there. And I bring a visibly disabled woman to the set. Because they've never had a visibly disabled woman. They have had very loud and proud women with invisible disabilities, but they have not had a visibly disabled woman. But also, there's a lot of talk about Muslims on The View that goes unchallenged. And Sunny Hostin is amazing, and she's a real ally to the Muslim community, and I really appreciate her. But I think that when you have a present getting crowds to chant, send her back about women who look exactly like me, who was born in the USA. Mm -hmm. I guess they're sending me back to Jersey. Um, (laughs) You know, you guys don't want to include us, but we are here in the armpit and we ain't going nowhere. (laughs) But um, I would love, love, love to be a co-host on The View. It's, It's my next dream. And I'll tell you two really fun failures that were tied to that. So. The only time that I was ever almost a guest on The View, Dean and I did a movie called America at the Crossroads. It was about stand-up comics a year after 9-11. And The View was having us on to promote this PBS series that we were appearing on 12 years before my TED Talk. And they bumped me last minute and replaced me with a comedian that had done about three shows in her entire life. And her entire bit was stripping off the hijab and throwing it behind the couch. And I've never been invited as a guest ever after. And Joy Behar had something called the Comedy Corner, and I never got invited to the Comedy Corner. I've never been invited to do stand-up comedy on any of the late, late night shows. Colbert, Fallon, Kimmel, Conan, and we pitch me every single week with like a tie-in. And I've never been able to get a two or three minute spot on uh, on late night television doing stand-up comedy, even though I've performed for sold out audiences across the nation, averaging between a thousand and thirty-five thousand audience members. I've also never been able to convince uh, Netflix showtime or amazon to do a stand-up comedy special with me so when people ask me how i feel about hannah gatsby i'm cheering for her i love her 
I'm so proud of her and I'm a bitter party of one because if y'all love what she does, trust me, trust me, you'll laugh till you vomit if you give me a chance. Hey, so like, can- <laughs> I've had a lot of failures. I'm giving you a chance and I, I'm almost throwing up. So this is, this feels right to me. And I feel like you keep putting it out there in the universe, just like you did with General Hospital and it's going to come. I mean, just so you know, I was like, I was like, nobody wants to record comedy specials in the virtual world. I'm totally down like a clown to do it. And I'll just have like a laugh box that like laughs like they did for Archie Bunker. And my agents were like, (laughs) no, 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 you won't. No, no. Well, and I'll tell you this, you know, we, we do improv at our company. We do it for professional development. So we just did um, something we called a laugh and lunch virtual virtually. And I'll tell you a year ago, if you were ever to ask me to put improv on zoom or video conference, I would be like, hell no. But I will say that it does work. And what we did is we had people chime in in the chat box, LOL. You know, Mm -hmm. we had a couple people as laugh tracks on audio. It does work. I hate every second of it. Do you know Bidala and I do a a show twice a month called the BBQ show, the big brown quarantine show? Um, (laughs) Because we do this brown show at the comic strip and our gig was supposed to be April 26th and all hell broke loose. So we moved it online. And we have been such troopers. And my friend Maj Durrani came and did a spot on the show and he killed it. He was amazing. Like I learned from watching him. I do it. After each show, I get so many messages where people are like, I loved it. I've been so depressed. I cracked up. You're amazing. And I finish my set and I'm like, I hate the pandemic. I hate the people (laughs) who don't wear masks. I hate that. I hate earphones. I hate the chair I'm sitting on. I hate the lipstick I'm wearing. I hate that I haven't been able to get my eyebrows done. And I look like the love child of Frida Kahlo and Bert from Sesame Street. I am Tinkerbell and I die without applause. Yes, I'm here. There it is. I'm I'm, with you. I have also felt that. (laughs) Yes, it's hard. It's hard for us. But I will say you, I just know that you have endured some failures. It sounds like your comedy career, you have been so blessed and so lucky, but it's all because you have taken what has happened and you've said, I am going to continue to push through, see the beauty and the comedy of what is happening in our world. Well, one of my greatest triumphs was that 20 years after I graduated, I returned to ASU and taught comedy. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I got to be like the Mr. Keating of this, you know, from Dead Poets Society without anyone killing themselves. But I got to be the teacher that, you know, was the opposite of the theater teacher that destroyed me. I got to build them up and it was really, really fun. And I'm hoping, hoping to go back in the spring virtually if I can't go in real life. But that was a triumph. Ask me more questions. We have 10 minutes. I know. And tell, wait, I know why you have to go, but the audience doesn't know because you told me before. Why tell, tell them why you have to go. I have cerebral palsy and cerebral palsy is a neurological disorder and it affects different people different ways. Some people are wheelchair users. Some people are nonverbal. In my case, 
I shake all the time. And I also limp. And like, really, if your listeners go to maysoon.com, shameless plug maysoon.com and watch videos, I literally look like I'm wasted. So like I'm a weeble wobble. I fall down, I pop right back up, right? I'm like rubber because I fall down so much. So my mother, mashallah, which is an Arabic Muslim saying for God bless her because she's a senior in a pandemic. So I have to put a veil protection on her. My mother insists I walk three miles a day with her. And she's like the postman. So it doesn't matter if it's rain, sleet, snow, if it's hot, if it's raining, we walk three miles a day. And in the before time, we would walk next to each other. She would lead and I would follow. And she would use the time to constructively criticize me. And by that, <laughs> I mean just criticize me, but it's constructive because I use it in my stand-up comedy and it makes me money, money, money. So now, <laughs> due to the pandemic, we don't live in the same house, so I don't want to infect her. She doesn't want to infect me. So now we both wear masks and we walk on opposite sides of the street. So now she shouts and screams her criticism across the street to me. And I have to tell you, it is so much more effective. And I feel like all the people who are trying to sleep appreciate it. So she's a frontline worker who works all day at Jersey Medical Center and then comes uh, home and walks with me. We got to give her, I'm going to give her some applause. She's Tinker. She's not Tinkerbell, but she needs this to it keep going. It was so funny because she would be like, I don't need your clapping. I need protective uh, equipment is what I need. I don't need anyone banging on a drum. I need N95 masks. I need these ignorant people in the Ozarks to drown. That's what I need. No. No, no, we cannot root for anyone to pass. No, no. We're, we need we're actually allowed each to have one person. Um, but it's best that you not tweet that and never act on it. And always say, I just hope a sinkhole swallows him down to hell. <laughs> We will. That is not going to be a quote pulled from this episode. Okay, we will not pull that. <laughs> I really do feel like you should say Maysoon doesn't believe in the killing of anyone at any time, but she w wouldn't mind a sinkhole swallowing a couple of souls right in front of her. Oh my God! Quotable, quotable. Like, no, like we will not say it. Ball. Like a toilet. No. You, you are. <laughs> my, religion, my religion doesn't require me to forgive. Let's just be clear. <laughs> you, I literally feel like this whole episode. Normally, I ask so many questions, and it's just me being a laugh track, which I love because I. You were clearly I'm me. desperate for it because I've <laughs> hijacked the interview to feed my comedian ego. Clap oh. for me like George, like Jeb Bush. Okay. No, it is. It has been my pleasure and I have enjoyed it thoroughly. So thank you because clearly I needed this. Okay. <laughs> so, all right, let me ask you, I know we have five minutes. We do not want mom to yell. So, all right. So what would you do if you knew you could not fail? Oh, I'd be president. Yes. Yes. All right. I would yes. run for, I would run for office and 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 really give it give it a shot. If I knew I couldn't fail, I'd be president. All right, because I have a very 
I, I was student council president of my senior class. I'm currently writing a comic book series for 10 to 12 year olds. And one of the installments is all about leadership training camp. And I was a counselor at a leadership training camp in New Jersey for over a decade. And I would love to, to be president. Do you um, know that we share that in common, not in Jersey, but in Michigan? I also went to leadership camp. That's and amazing. I also was a camp counselor at <laughs> leadership camp. Okay. You and I are going to have so much fun when we go <laughs> out to celebrate me guest hosting the view. Because yes, I'm coming in out there. Yeah. Do, like okay. do you like the specificity of since I'm an infertile myrtle? When Megan McCain goes on maternity <laughs> leave, I feel like the world owes this to me. I like the I, specificity is the name of the game here. But you know that I've adopted. You know, I did not know, know that. Yes, I what? adopted a cat named Beyonce. That's right. Okay, I didn't know. Okay, exactly I did know about happened. Beyonce. I did not know that was the it is, adoption. It is called okay. an adoption, just like a cabbage patch uh, kid. Maybe you shouldn't judge me. Right. So I'm not judge. No judgment. No judgment. I. Love it. So a lot of women feel like they fail because they didn't have kids. And so I'm here to give your audience a little advice before we wrap up so that they don't make other people fail, feel like failures. One of the first questions that people always ask adults is, are you married? That's mm -hmm. a valid question. They might want to do the horizontal tango without committing adultery. It's a good question. The next thing out of their mouths is, do you have kids? And I'm going to recommend that your audience never, ever ask another human being if they have kids. Because if you don't know the answer already, it's none of your business. And you have no idea what the person across from you has been through. Maybe they had a miscarriage that morning. Maybe they ran out of money and can't do another round of IVF. Or maybe, just maybe, they want to have a cat named Beyonce that they can put in a bag under a chair when they tour 280 days out of the year. That's it. Yeah. And here's the fun fact. People with kids will always tell you. They will always volunteer that information. Yes. Yes. You never need to ask. The next sentence out of their mouth after high is Timmy and Sally. And I'm like, who are they? And I don't care. So right, they will right. always, always tell you. So don't ask. Oh, Maysoon, I love you. And I will tell you, um, I have been an IVF warrior for, I've, I was an IVF warrior for a really long time. And I, all those words ring really true to me. So the 10 month old I spoke of is a miracle. He's a freaking miracle of a lot of science. But so, how many times were you asked and just felt so like many. such a failure? Girl, yes. I mean, I'm 37. So I, I've, I'm, Oh, it was so a, you had it was a, a geriatric pregnancy. I had a geriatric. So when they tell you you're geriatric at 36 and you're like, what happened? <laughs> what happened? Uh, Betty White is right. still alive. I've got a decade. Yes, absolutely <laughs> correct. So I appreciate those words. And I do know um, I speak about infertility a lot. So I think that a lot of women who are listening to this will really resonate with what and you it, said. And, it, and they will agree that I should be given Megan McCain's seat during her maternity leave. I think and that is where we land. The entire fertility community, please rally against me <laughs> and make this happen. Okay? Yes! 
Yes. Okay. I have one minute. I have to do this. It's called our fail. Yeah. Lightning round. Okay. okay. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions and yes. then you, I want you to respond with one word answers as quickly as you can. So a little improv, you're, you're natural. You got this. I will respond in the form of a question as if I'm on Jeopardy. Go. Oh, yes. Okay. And then if you don't, if you, if you mess up or you can't think of anything, I'm going to say fail. Yeah. All right. Ready? Okay. Here we go. One word to describe your early career. Money. One word to describe where you're currently at in your career. It's dead. Dead. (laughs) (laughs) Fail you. Don't fail you. It's all right. That was hyphen. We'll say it's dead is hyphen. All right. One word to describe your future self. The um, view. (laughs) (laughs) One word to describe your favorite boss. Dean. (laughs) One word to describe your least favorite boss biff (laughs) one word to describe your ted talk viral one word to describe beyonce the cat love oh and one word to describe this interview fun i have to redo the boss frank frank is my favorite boss okay all right frank 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 he's the executive producer of general hospital who made my dream come true and after he cast me this is for all the people who failed. It took me three decades to get on General Hospital. Three, man, because mm-hmm. I dreamt of it since I was five. And I'm a lot older than I'm telling you. Anyway, <laughs> when, when I got cast in it, before I ever recorded my first episode, Frank Valentini, who's the executive producer, invited me to the General Hospital Daytime Emmys party. And when I walked into the Emmy party, He greeted me at the door and he said, welcome to General Hospital. Oh, and that's where we're going to leave it, folks, because dreams come true. You can put them into action. You've overcome so much. And if your dream turns into a nightmare, find another dream. (laughs) That's right. Isn't that the name of a book? It's my book on Audible. And if you can't hear, I made sure they had a downloadable PDF because I made (laughs) sure my art is always accessible. Thank you so much, Erin. Thank you, Maysoon. And let us know too. I will tag everywhere you can find Maysoon in the show notes. We are so honored to have you, Maysoon. Go get that walk on, girl. Yes. Stay alive. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to Failed It. I'm so happy you're along for the ride. And if you enjoyed today's show, head on over to iTunes to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. New episodes drop every Wednesday. I'll see you next week, but want to leave you with this thought. What will you fail at today? And how will that help your future successful self? Think about it. I'm proud of you and you are totally failing it. See you next time. 